0: morning, church. If you would, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 5. We are continuing this series. Um, There's a lot of ways you could title a series like this as we go through the the scriptures that are known as the Beatitudes. Um, I've struggled with it, to be honest with you, exactly how to title it because there's so many pieces and so many ways to look at it. And um, as a pastor, I like to find things to just fit in a real nice box and you know the saying, like three three points in a poem, you know what I mean? I want it to fit just real tight and I want it to be nice and alliterated so it's easy to remember and it's easy to listen to and you can plug the points in your brain, but uh, there's so much depth here. There's so much that's being said to us with so few words in every verse that it's hard to sum that up into kind of a title for a series or even for a sermon, but I The way I kind of view it is is I think that the people that were listening in the day of Jesus were listening to this sermon as he began it on the mount. And they were listening to someone speak about the kingdom of God and they thought they understood all there was to know about the kingdom of God, especially the religious leaders, right? And what happens is Jesus takes all that they understood about it and he takes it from them and he inverts it and turns it upside down and gives it back to them. And because of that, they try to kill him. Because of that, they say that he is outside the box. When instead, what we know in the entirety of God's word put together, that what he's talking about is the fulfillment of all the scriptures that have come before. And what he's talking about specifically in Matthew chapter 5, in the first several verses here that we have heard growing up be called the B-attitudes, it's a lot more than just about an attitude. In fact... I would say, as many others have said before, that the Beatitudes are preparatory to the gospel. In other words, if you truly want to be a follower of Jesus, these are the pieces you need to understand have to be in play in your life. This is a demonstration of your character and your life change and the virtues that God has placed in you by the power of His Holy Spirit in order to lead you to become like Jesus. These first several, especially, have to be there in order for you to even become a Christian at all. We'll talk more about that in a couple of minutes. Uh, One famous commentator said it like this, the Beatitudes slay us so that we may live. This is important to understand that today you're not just listening to some words, you're listening to a word from the Lord, from His Scripture, and you have to respond to that. And how you respond determines... What will happen with you now and in the future? Because if you are in line with God, following him, walking with him, having been born again, you will be with him forever. But if you are not, then the evidences of salvation are not present as laid out here, then we have much to fear. <clears throat> so if you would, look with me, Matthew chapter 5, verse, I'm going to start in 3, where we started last week, and 4. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Let me pray for us. Lord, please help us this morning to understand your word. Help us to understand what you want from us. Help us to understand what it means to mourn. And Lord, help us to understand how we will be comforted if we mourn. Lord, we love you. We want to know you. I pray that you would work in our hearts today, illumine our minds to understand, engage our hearts to be obedient, enable us in boldness to follow you and make much of your Son, Jesus. And we ask that in his name. Amen. Matthew 5, 4 again. Blessed are those who mourn, For they shall be comforted. Now, this is a passage that seems, a verse that seems in so many ways to be pretty easy to catch on to. In fact, when you see that, you think, and I I use it when I do funerals, I use it when I uh, help people that are struggling. The Lord does say, Blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. Now, when I use it in that context, though, what I'm talking about and what I think the scriptures are replete with is that if you are in Christ, if your hope is in Him, And he will comfort you with a comfort that is like the peace that surpasses understanding because you know you are his. And so that comfort comes from him. And it won't be easy, but he'll be with you. And that'll be enough to carry you through. It doesn't mean it's going to go away. It just means he's going to carry you through. But I don't think that that's only what's being talked about here. Let's be reminded, last week we talked about this word blessed. What does that mean? And I, I, I hate to sound like a broken record, but if we've taken any word, probably, aside from the gospel, aside that word of the gospel, we've taken any other minor word in the Bible and we have used it in ways that are not the way it was intended in Scripture, it's probably the word blessed. We say we're blessed all the time when it could be the things we're talking about are actually curses upon us. We use blessed... When we talk about just being nice to people because they sneezed, right? We don't even know what we're saying. We don't even know what we mean by it. But here, it's very curious that Jesus starts every one of these phrases with, blessed are so-and-so because of this or for this. And here he says, blessed again are those who mourn for they shall be comforted. This word blessed, our Kent Hughes told us last week, It's a positive judgment by God on the individual that means to be approved, that you're approved by God, that he approves us. It's a pronouncement of what we actually are approved. In other words, here we'd be saying the ones who will be comforted are those who mourn, so they are blessed. Or another way to see it again is God approves those who mourn to be comforted. But first we have to really understand what, what is meant by the word to mourn. And then we have to try to understand how God comforts those who mourn. And that's our path this morning. What does it mean to mourn, biblically speaking, what's going on here? And then what does it mean to be comforted? What is God intending for us to walk away with here? Let me say this on the front end. All mourning, okay, not in this present, right? All mourning, is in weeping or being upset about something, is not gospel mourning. I'm going to give you a couple of examples just in the scriptures. You know this. You can mourn someone or something or some event and it not be the right kind of mourning. In 2 Samuel 13, 2, it says, And Amnon was so tormented that he made himself ill because of his sister Tamar, for she was a virgin, and it seemed impossible to Amnon to do anything to her. He wanted to be with his sister in an unhealthy way, and he was mourning that he could not figure out a way to make that happen. That is not gospel mourning. Amen? 1 Kings 21 4. And Ahab went into his house vexed and sullen because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had said to him. For he had said, I will not give you the inheritance of my fathers. And he lay down on his bed and turned away his face and would eat no food. He's mourning the fact that he cannot have the inheritance that he wants. That's not gospel mourning. So what is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about that kind of mourning over something? Because I can tell you how many times that I got upset and it just ruined me from the inside out from the time I was a boy. I can tell you multiple time after time that I was upset that I would not say it was a biblical type of mourning, right? So what is Jesus talking about? It's important for us to understand. Again, listen to these words, Matthew 5, 3, first, blessed are the poor in spirit For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We talked about that last week. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So that being poor in spirit is more of an intellectual response when faced with the reality of who God is and what he's done. And we talked about that last week. It's to be poor in spirit, to recognize God's greatness and our insignificance. To recognize God's glory and to recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt and bring nothing to the table in total need of Him. This one, verse 4, Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. This is gospel mourning, is the emotional response when one recognizes God's holiness He's completely other than, completely pure and right and good. And then our, we recognize also our deep and abiding depravity or sinfulness. It's the emotional response to mourn over that sinfulness. I'm going to give you a few ways to look at this. The first one is of great importance. Gospel mourning of that kind is necessary for salvation. I'll say it again. You cannot be saved unless you mourn your sin. Because you see who God is, and because you see and understand your depth of sinfulness the greatness of our sin. D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, you're going to hear me talk about him quite a few times in this series. His books on this, you should buy them. They're great. It's usually in one volume now. Uh, And also Thomas Watson, you're going to hear me mention his name a lot. He was a Puritan, and uh, his work on this is really small but super replete. Uh, It's hard not to read these guys and want to tell you what they say, so I'm going to be lacing some of the stuff we talk about in the next several weeks with these guys. But Lloyd-Jones talks about the necessity of of gospel mourning for salvation when he says, we have to be poor in spirit before we can be filled with the Holy Spirit. And conviction must of necessity precede conversion. A real sense of sin must come before there can be a true joy of salvation. Just think back, if you're a believer, to the moment that you became born again. And think about how God brought you to your knees over your sin and how he then saved you. You were convicted and you repented and believed in Jesus. That's how it works for every single one of us, even if you're just five years old when it happens. No one is truly a Christian who has not mourned over his or her sins. You cannot be forgiven if you are not mourning or sorrowful over your sin. You can just say, oh, yeah, I should know. You think, you think you went down and prayed a prayer at the front of church because you feel this emotional moment, but you're not truly sorry over your sin, and you have not really been sorry over your sin. Maybe you're sorry you got caught. Maybe you're sorry for the consequences of your sins. Maybe you're sorry because you know what's happening because of your sin, but you're not truly heartbroken mourning your sin. You're most likely not really His. Those are hard words. Another pastor says, the saddest thing in life is not a sorrowful heart, but a heart that is incapable of grief over sin, for it is without grace. 2 Corinthians 7.10 says, for godly grief, that's what we're talking about here, for godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Gospel mourning over our sinfulness is necessary for our salvation. Secondly, listen to these words. This is something you're not going to like to hear, so I'm going to ask your permission. Can I tell it to you anyway? Okay, for those who said no, you can just hang on for a minute. Gospel mourning, listen, is joined in the Scriptures with self-loathing, self-loathing, and hatred of our own sin. It's not just that you hate the sin, but you begin to loathe yourself when you commit those sins because you know the impact that it has had in the world and because you know that's the reason why Jesus had to die for you. And so when you commit those sins, there's a part of you that hates yourself for that. That's gospel mourning in its fruition. That sounds crazy, doesn't it? This is something we yearn for as Christians is to see the sin so we can kill the sin within us with God's leading help in that. Thomas Watson, right? Listen to what he says about Pharaoh. He says, Pharaoh says, take away the plague. But he never thought of the plague of his own heart. A sinner mourns because judgment follows at the heels of sin. But David cries out, my sin is ever before me. The tax collector beats his breast and cries out, have mercy on me, a sinner. And it's not just Watson talking about it. It's not just those stories. Listen to these. Ezekiel twenty forty three. Listen to the words in the scriptures from Ezekiel. And there you shall remember your ways and all your deeds with which you have defiled yourselves and you shall loathe yourselves for all the evils that you have committed or listen to paul talk about it in romans 7 24 wretched man that i am who will deliver me from this body of death this is the way that paul sees himself psalm 119 136 and that's big 119 verse 136 my eyes shed streams of tears because people do not keep your law That's loathing the sin over someone else. He's not the only one. Jeremiah, known as the weeping prophet, in his book, verse 17 of chapter 13, says, But if you will not listen, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Paul pleads with the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 5.2, and he says, Are you not arrogant? Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this thing be removed from you. And this is when this guy has committed sexual immorality of a super grievous nature. And the church has done nothing about it except celebrate their diversity. And he says, should you not be mourning over this? Put that person out from among you. The hope is they'll repent and come back to the Lord. Or Philippians 3.18, Paul says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Tell you with tears. When's the last time that we wept over our own sin, or that we wept over the sin of others and hated it? For all the reasons that you can think of. But listen, here's some good news. Gospel mourning is perpetually purifying. When God brings conviction upon your heart and shows you your own sin, it leads you to repentance, and that is purifying for your soul and makes you more like Jesus because you begin to fight that sin and kill that sin, and God begins to eradicate pieces of that and put the brokenness back together. See, godly believers perpetually mourn and thus perpetually repent of their sins, I believe that's why Martin Luther, in his 95 Theses, when he nailed them to the door at the church in Wittenberg, I believe the reason why he had the first one first is because he understood this truth all the way through to its end. His first thesis is this, when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, Repent, Matthew 4, 17, he willed the entire life of believers to be one of Repentance. You don't just repent one time and you're done. You repent every day, all of your life, over and over and over and over and over again until he comes and takes us home and totally takes sin out of us and we are glorified. Until then, we're being sanctified. That requires repentance, 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 which comes from conviction over our sin, which leads us to mourn our sin and hate our sin and turn to the Lord. That's repentance. So we'll put it the opposite way. The opposite of mourning in this way is what we would call hardness of heart. And don't just think it's for those outside of these walls, brothers and sisters. We have much hardness in our hearts that are still being moved and changed to being hearts of flesh. He puts a heart of flesh in us, and we're still fighting in the old body when we become believers. And there's hardness of heart that occurs when we turn our eyes to our sin, or we don't think we have any more left, or we think we're right, and we stand up in pride, or we just don't want to listen to the Lord pressing in on us, or we really love that thing that he's telling us not to do or think or believe anymore, and that creates a hardness of heart. So the opposite of gospel mourning is hardness of heart. I'm going to watch the ears here, but Watson says it really well. We must not only mourn, but turn. What good is it to have a watery eye and a whorish heart? All throughout the Bible, that's exactly what God is talking about. He points to adultery not just being about men and women together, but about us having spiritual adultery. He uses the story of Hosea where there is relational marital adultery going on to point to the entire adultery of the Jewish nation. And we too can fall into those camps of leaning in after other idols and false gods and making them the most important thing in our lives. Let us not. Let us not long for others, but long for the Lord. And that gospel morning will lead us there. Joel 2, 12 through 13. Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. In other words, I don't care what you do outwardly. That needs to mimic what's happening on the inside. But if the inside's not happening, it doesn't matter. That's what people would do. They would be upset and mourn, and they would rip their clothes. he said, you could rip your clothes and not really be broken over your sin. He says, so turn to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping, with mourning. Rend your hearts, not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And here's the greatest news, brothers and sisters when this kind of mourning happens to you, when it reaches into you and the Holy Spirit convicts you of sin and He shows you the depth of your own depravity and the the, the great chasm between us and the holiness God has called us to, when He rips that open in us and we begin to not only intellectually understand our need for the Savior, but begin to mourn over our sin and our reasoning that we have put Jesus on the cross, when that happens in our hearts, that same gospel morning drives us to find our comfort in the Lord. It's all about being with him, being in his presence and reveling in that presence. Listen to Isaiah 61, 1 through 3. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me, he says, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. This is right where Jesus read out of when he read, uh, when he stepped into a place around all these religious people and they hand him the scroll and he opens it up and reads this so it recognizes not just the old testament but new right the spirit of the lord god is upon me because the lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound to proclaim the year of the lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our god to comfort all who mourn to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, so that he may be glorified. You see, he may lead you into mourning, and break you down to recognize your need for a savior so that he can build you up and others will look at you and think you're an oak of righteousness but but he's the one that plants you there he's the one that sustains you and if in turn you then don't make much of the lord because it's also that he may be glorified then we've missed the point and we're actually robbing god of his glory or trying to Gospel mourning drives us to comfort in God, and that means we have to verbalize it as well. In fact, let's put this in perspective of the gospel in general, right? Jesus mourned our sin and its effects on us and on his creation. He mourned the death of his friend Lazarus so much so that he wept even though he knew he was going to raise him from the dead. He mourned deeply in his heart when he saw the pain and suffering in Lazarus' sisters. He went over the lostness of the city of Jerusalem, and he wept over it as he approached the city. He wept over their lostness, saying, I wish you would have seen and come the right way. He mourned over sin and death so much that he gave his life to undo it. To rescue us and to reconcile us back to God. How great His sacrifice for us, brothers and sisters. In our place, in our place, in your place, in my place, He stood condemned, lifted up. We sing of Him high and lifted up, and He was lifted up in our place. The only righteous and sinless one, crucified for our sins, In our place, the perfect Holy One crucified for us, the unrighteous, the ungodly, the sinners, the wretched, the pitiable, apart from Him, the damned. So how do we not mourn for His death in our place on the cross every time we gaze into His beauty in the Word and we sing of His greatness together? How are we not overwhelmed with our sinfulness and driven to immediate repentance? You ever wonder about that? Why do we not live in the knowledge of our sinfulness and hate it more than we do? I'm going to say a few ideas of what it could be, and you latch on to one that the Lord pierces your heart with, and make note if there's one here that does. Maybe it's because we don't understand the great depth of our own depravity. <laughs> Maybe we don't really see how awful we are. Maybe when I talk about self-loathing, you think, I would never do that. Why would I ever hate myself? That's, that's, not, that's not right. No, we're taught in our culture that you should never look negatively upon yourself. But in order to recognize how great Jesus is, we have to see how much our need is for him. Maybe we don't look long enough into the face of Jesus on the cross at Calvary. Maybe we spend too much time avoiding him or just ignoring him instead of staring into his face and recognizing we're the ones that put him there because of our sin, not because of any other reason. Maybe we're unwilling to accept that we are traitors and rebels by nature. don't like those words me either but they're true about our hearts they're true about who we are we're not great in and of ourselves we're not saintly in and of ourselves we've been redeemed if your hope is in Jesus we've been purchased we've been drug out of the depths of our depravity and brought and placed into the family of God as sons and daughters Maybe we're just unwilling to believe how horrible, how horribly sinful we are apart from Christ. Do we really understand how great is the tragedy of the Son of the living God having to die for our sins, for my sins? Do I understand that? Oh, Lord, forgive us. When's the last time you wept over your sin? When was the last time we wept over how much it hurts God to know that His Son had to die for us. Yet He loved us so much He was willing to do it anyway. He didn't need more glory. He didn't do it for the accolades. He was already going to be glorified by all of us in the end anyway. Good old Watson again. He says, we have many who can mourn over a dead child who cannot mourn over a crucified Savior. But listen, church, there is hope. Not in our ability, not in our ability to overcome our own sin, but there is hope in the one who mourned our sin so much that he poured out his blood on the cross to wash it all away. We sang about it earlier. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And in Him, in Christ Jesus, in Him alone, there is hope. And there is comfort in Him for those who mourn for their sins. Let me give you a few ways that happens. This is encouraging. This should be something that you latch on to for hope. Something that drives us further to see the greatness of Jesus and our need for Him If the Lord has not already pricked our hearts this morning, make sure we understand the basis of our comfort is forgiveness. It's not just because He's a good God, He is. But the basis of our comfort here is that He forgives people that don't deserve being forgiven. That's why it's called the good news, not the normal news. The good news is that He forgives sinners who do not deserve to be forgiven. God, convicting us of our sin, should lead us to praise Him and glorify Him. Lord, when He convicts us, it breaks our hearts. And then we say, thank you, Lord, for saving me, forgiving me. Thank you for revealing it so I know how to fight it, because you deserve more and better, but I cannot. His comfort begins immediately, too. Listen to me, brothers and sisters new or old, here, listening online, present with us here. Today is the day of salvation for any who would put their hope and faith in Jesus. You do not have to wait. Today is the day. It does not mean all of your mourning will cease. It doesn't mean all of your hurting will stop. But it means this. Today is the day that you can experience the beginning of that comfort immediately if you put your hope and faith in Jesus. So do not wait. We are not promised the next moment. Many of us know people who've even died in the presence of the preaching of the word. It's right in the middle of an aisle. He died on the way home. It's not a scare tactic. It's just the truth. We do not know when our day will come. The Lord knows, and maybe he knows that your day is soon, and so therefore you're here now or you're listening now so that you can have an opportunity to repent and believe in him. Romans 15, 13, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now listen, brothers and sisters, His comfort is not just for a moment. It is eternal. That's why now it seems to fade every once in a while or even often. It does not fade in eternity when He removes the sin and its effects from us and we are in His presence fully but it is eternal. Listen, Revelation 7, we hear this talking about Jesus. Revelation 7, 17, for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. It goes on for forever and ever and ever. As Randy Travis said, amen. It's forever. And listen, it's not only immediate, and it not only comes out of his forgiveness, and it's not only eternal. This is really key. Everything in the Bible is about showing the greatness of Jesus and his death on the cross, but why? Why? Because God wants you to be with him. He doesn't just want you to sing of him. We want you to be with him. His comfort is found in his presence. So today you may be thinking, yeah, but I gave my heart to Jesus a long time ago, and I've just never sensed what you're talking about. Maybe you prayed a prayer, maybe you said some words, but maybe you have not sat in his presence, or maybe it's just been a while. Today is a day of repentance, brothers and sisters. Turn back to the Lord. Gospel mourning is a spur to prayer. The child who weeps for offending his father goes to his presence and will not leave until his father is reconciled to him. So when God breaks our hearts, we should not run from the Lord or hide our eyes we should go sit in his presence and ask for forgiveness. And you know what, it'll be just like the prodigal who runs to his father and his father sees him coming before he has anything to say even. The father scoops him up and brings him in. Clothes him in his own righteous robe. Puts his ring on his finger. And then celebrates. For his son was lost, but he's been found. And let us, brothers and sisters, not be like the older brother, who stays outside and is mad because nobody ever celebrated him. When the father says, no, all this has always been yours. Let us celebrate. Let us be looking for the ones who are not yet here. God's comfort comes in the form of his companionship. You hear this over and over and over again if you come and worship with us or experiences with us. Leviticus 26.12 talks about it. I'll read verse 11 on. I will make my dwelling among you, God says, and my soul shall not abhor you or hate you. And I will walk among you and will be your God and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and made you walk erect. I've taken away all those things. He said, I have freed you Galatians 4, 4 through 7, New Testament. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, you hear that? Because you are sons, if you've hoped and believed in Jesus, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, that's daddy. And sometimes it feels weird when people call God Daddy. But that's a little child, barely able to speak, saying, Daddy. That's the word, Abba. The Holy Spirit has been placed in our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son, and if a son, then an heir through God. How comprehensive is our comfort, one preacher said. How comprehensive is our comfort in the Lord. It's immediate, right? It's eternal, it's found in forgiveness. It comes to us alone. It comes to us personally in the person of God, and especially in His Holy Spirit who dwells in us. Romans 8, 11, listen. If the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, in other words, if you're a Christian, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his Spirit who dwells in you. Listen to this in Revelation 21. You've heard it many times. Listen to it a little differently. When you're broken over your sin, what a glorious place that is to be. Enveloped in the arms of grace and mercy and steadfast love. What we will experience for all eternity. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. Same thing in Leviticus, right? He's saying now will be our future. The dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. If you are in Christ, you are not alone. You don't have to be alone. Come to Christ and in the face of Jesus, see your salvation purchased in His blood on the cross. For the one who mourned our sin even greater than we mourn it and was willing to go and give up His comfort to die on the cross in our place so that we could be comforted for all eternity because of His blood spilled for us that washes away our sin. Let us go face to face with Him and let it drive us to mourn over our sin. And let it drive us to repentance and faith and on to hope and on to joy in Jesus. This is the way of Christ. And if you say that you're his, but you do not recognize that we are spiritually bankrupt and bring nothing to the table, and we do not then mourn over our sin and the effects of it that Jesus had to die for us, the one who is all holy, all good, never did anything wrong, had to come and live the life perfectly that we could not live and die the death we deserve and endure the wrath of God that we should have endured for all eternity. If we do not recognize that and then mourn over our sin, we are not who we say we are, church. And if we live that out in the truest form, people will see it and they will not say how great we are, but they'll wonder how great our Savior is. And that is the way of pointing to Christ. As James tells us in chapter 4 verse 8, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Oh Lord, exalt us, Lord. Would humble us under the weight of Your glory and majesty so that we might see the gravity of Your glory and the grievousness of our sin. That You would receive the glory in our recognizing our need for salvation. And that You would redeem even one such as me, Lord. Oh, Lord, You not only deserve praise, You deserve my everything. Help us, Lord. Help us. Lead us to hope alone in Christ Jesus, your Son, who is the only way, the only truth, and the only life. There is none without Him. It is only sleeping and walking around until we endure the judgment we deserve, if you do not wake us. So Lord, open our eyes to see the beauty of Christ and the wretchedness of our sin, so that we might turn to you and be saved And revel in your presence as sons and daughters, undeserving even of eating the crumbs off your table. Lord, help us so that we might enjoy you and find comfort. For you say, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Lord, comfort us now. In Christ Jesus, I pray. Amen.